0: Hello and welcome to the 12 Minutes of Workplace Health podcast. I'm Harry Bliss, CEO and co-founder of Champion Health. And today we're joined by the former head of wellbeing at John Lewis and Partners and the former head of strategy in Aviva's health arm, Nick Davison. Today, we're going to discuss how we can communicate wellbeing strategies effectively to up to 80,000 people. We're going to talk about the role of line managers and how to train them effectively and also discuss the future of workplace health. Welcome to today's session, Nick. Hello, Nick. How are you? I'm good, thank you, Eric. How are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. Really excited for today's conversation, for our listeners to uh, to pick a bit of your brain um, when it comes to workplace health and wellbeing. Do you mind just sharing a little bit about your background, first of all, before we really get into the meaty side of things? Yep. Yeah. So uh, I'm Nick, I'm Nick Davidson. Um, For the last 10 years, I've
1: been Head of Wellbeing, uh, John Lewis Partnership, so that's John Lewis and Waitrose, 80,000 co-owners, um, but having having been with the business for 10 years, I've just stepped out into um, my own kind of world of um, consultancy and, and looking to get involved in a number of different kind of uh, portfolio of careers, I guess. Um, prior to that, I was head of strategy for a health
0: business, so I've got sort of 15, 16 years of practical experience in this area. Fantastic. So working with two of the largest organisations um, in slightly different spaces as well, you must have seen a lot of change over the last 10, 15 years, but even over the last two years, what do you think is going to continue, continually evolve in this space when it comes to workplace health and wellbeing? I think um, the last
1: two years are really seeing a great acceleration. I think um, a lot of that's been technology-led, um, as you know, you too well. Um, but I think what is also driven is a, is a need for... Uh, greater openness transparency collaboration uh, and i think we've seen it with things like mental health where destigmatizations become um, much more prevalent it's it's not you know we haven't got there completely for everybody yet mm. uh, but certainly much more openness and willingness to talk about difficult things whether that's mental health whether it's around suicide prevention whether it's other other areas of physical or mental health or uh, increasingly this year we'll see Know, the impact of financial well-being and you know with things like inflation and fuel costs and um, you know it's been a the world's been a troubled place with lots of anxiety lots of uncertainty over the last years and of course you know that, the war in ukraine currently just adds mm-hmm. to that um, uncertainty sadly um, i think if you look forward i think we'll see more adoption of technology but technology on its own isn't necessarily the only answer um, and I think you'll see much more collaboration of people working together in ways that they never probably would have done before. Uh,
0: I think that's a good thing. I, I completely agree. Um, and I think the vision that I have is very similar of things need to be brought together and joined up. Yeah. And as you say, technology takes you so far, but you still need the human connection. And that's something that we we all long for. Now, how many employees are, were there or are there at John Lewis and Partners? Um, so John Lewis Partnership has approaching 80,000 people. Um
1: and it's a unique business in that it's a it's a employee owned business, so we're yeah. all co owners in the business as well. So um, that brings uh, great opportunities, but also different challenges or or different approaches because of that.
0: Of course, and that's something I'd love to put your brain on now, if that's okay. Around how do you reach that many people, especially when a fair amount of them, if we look at the likes of Waitrose and even. Uh, the retail business with, with John Lewis, they're not necessarily behind computers and so on. It's quite hard to reach population in a lot of ways. How did you go about reaching them?
1: I think, um, so So you're actually right. It's, it's a challenge and, and one size doesn't fit all. Um, and so, um, you know, you have to have a, a multi-channel approach in terms of different ways and, and different means of doing that. And I think one of the things is you need to provide opportunities, but also choice. Um, there's an awful lot of talk these days around personalization of health and wellbeing, um, in terms of engagement and support, you know, but actually not everyone has a, not even today, not everyone has a mobile phone. Mm. You know, the majority do. Um, you know, so actually you need to tailor and, and provide choice in ways that people can engage. We, we did that a number of different ways. Um, and not just focusing on rehabilitation support when people are ill, actually proactively looking at things like social wellbeing, and how do you create communities that are actually locally based or you know, nationally based or work across organizational boundaries? So you create networks of people that actually um, you know, are engaged in things they enjoy doing outside of their work. Um, so actually work is part of their relationship with the partnership, but not their only one.
0: And uh, do you think that's going to be a big theme going forwards of the employee experience going beyond the traditional working hours for, for people?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think coming back to COVID, I think working, enforced working from home created lots of opportunity, but also some challenges for people. Mm. And I think, you know, who you are and, and what you have in your life, whether that be children or, you know, sharing a flat with four other, you know, young adults or whether you, you know, by yourself, your kids have left home and grown up and you've got more space. Yeah, you know, all of those things are unique to you. And so actually as an employer, it's difficult to legislate um, you know, and frankly, some of our, you know, uh, say, some of our, some of the partnerships' um, employees weren't able to work from home because if you work, you know, in a shop, or selling supermarket, uh, selling food, you, you know, you can't do that from home. Yeah. Likewise, petrol stations. <laughs> likewise, there's a whole range of emergency services, care workers, and the like. You know, still had to go in. So. I think you have to come back to this whole thing. We've all got our own world and our own environment. We need to we'll respect it, but also understand that people need and will want different things because of that.
0: And again, across eighty thousand people, each individual is very unique within there, and they'll have their own unique wants, yeah. needs, and, and challenges as well.
1: Yeah, and I think um,
0: you know what you find
1: is there's if you think of a Venn diagram, there's there's pools of people that you'll engage in different ways. Some people never ever um used the internet the company information you know but others religiously had it on every day uh, we we were able to reach sixty thousand um partners uh, digitally twice a week through partner choice which is the kind of social well-being brand um you know that's not just about fun things and offers and holidays and trips and you know but also you're able to then promote the positively you know the health and well-being kind of um initiatives that we had in, in play so that's one way uh, but then you get the more traditional um you know um, more traditional way of you sometimes using paper um and writing to people and reminding people and you know the, those that adopted digital are kind of outraged that we're still using paper but sometimes you need to just yeah. do that And whether that's for pension um, updates or financial advice or that type of thing so um it but that's your problem it is difficult, and I think one of the things I, I guess I would highlight: um, we've tried to um, train the line managers—not try to—we did train the line managers as an access point because actually those seven thousand have a much bigger reach. Um, the other thing um, we introduced as well-being champions, and over eight hundred of them across the country, provided a kind of a focal point—you know, a signposter, if you like—to you know where to find things or how to get help. Um, and those type of things means your reach is extended beyond yeah. digital channels into actually people, know people that know something, um, if that makes sense.
0: And some of the most successful people in well-being that I've personally seen have not just, it's not, not everything's gone through them. They've been able to leverage those different channels. Can you talk to me a little bit more around the line management training piece, how you did it, how long it took, who delivered it? Um, I'd love love to hear a little bit more around that.
1: And I think, I think it's work in progress, um, Harry. Really, I think um, because there's also a churn. You know, the, the nature of retail mm-hmm. means that actually people don't, particularly management, um, you know, junior and middle management roles don't stay in those roles. tend to be very long, and they move to another branch or another opportunity you know, within the business um, quite often. And so, you've always got this kind of it's the fourth bridge. You know, where you're always painting it um so uh, w- we created something which was um kind of a hybrid uh, we didn't go down the mental health first aid route which i know a lot of people have um, because we wanted it to be channeled through line managers specifically because actually they formally they have a duty of care there's a legal responsibility for employers and the line managers are a key part of that um, but also the more they know they're able to influence the work culture the environment you know the, the, the amount of work mm-hmm. um and and use the resources they've got best to have the, the most positive impact on the people that work for them um, so we created a, um, a one-day training course uh, which actually during COVID we've put online since because we couldn't get people into the classroom um, content was very much around um, recognizing what you see what you hear which would concern you around people's behavior or appearance or their you know, their functioning at work uh, and then what do you do about it? So I'm not trying to equip people to become you know, quasi psychologists or psychiatrists, um, but actually just to recognise that people may need some support and actually what do you do about that? So start the conversation. What type of conversation? How do you get help? Where do you find the help? You know, that type of stuff as a pre- preventative, proactive, rather than waiting until somebody falls over and you know, then needs more formal support.
0: I I completely agree around that upstream approach. Um, yeah. There's a lot of our people that are, are thriving and doing well, but what we know is that they uh, that those things can change, and the more that we can prevent, the the better. Uh, we've spoken about line managers and them supporting other people. What did you do for line managers specifically as well? Because off the back of some of the data that Champion Health have at the moment we know that some of the most stressed people in the organization are line managers and people managers at the moment. Was there, was there anything that you did to be able to support them as well in the whole oxygen mask analogy that, that, that we see regularly too? So
1: we, we did. So we, we had a, um, a proactive psychological tool already available. So we put on some webinars in terms of um, access to those for those teams. We've also realigned our occupational health team around specific groups of branches. So they had a focal clinical, contact point in terms of who do they speak to I've got some of that I'm worried about what should I do the advisory bit um, rather than the do nothing bit or yep. panic bit um, that that seems to have worked well um, you know the proof is always in the pudding you know, but also recognizing that in the retail environment it's been really tough mm. commercially uh, we've also um, you know the business has gone through an awful lot of change organizationally um at the same time as we've had to manage through the COVID restrictions around um you know closing some shops, supermarkets were open, but social distancing, you know, wearing a mask, hand sanitization, you know, all that stuff as well. So um, it has been it's been difficult. Uh, but I think you also find that from a leadership perspective, there is something very much the camaraderie and the helping each other through those times. Um, they've been really, really important. So clear communication is one thing, um, but I think also people know that someone else has got their back is is another.
0: I think that's a fantastic message to uh, to end on today, Nick. So I just want to say a massive thank you for you joining us on today's session. Um, I always say this, but we could have 12 hours discussing a lot of topics, but um, just want to say a massive thank you for you giving up your time today. Pleasure. Thank Thanks very much. Take care. For more exclusive insights and content around workplace wellbeing, please subscribe to this podcast and we look forward to seeing you on the next episode.